On July 19, 1991, a 12-year-old is on a Boy Scout camping trip in the mountains of San Bernardino County, California. He somehow got separated from his group and he disappeared. During the 19-day search, they found footprints in his missing backpack. To make the mystery even stranger, within the backpack found a camera with one of the most haunting pictures you'll ever see. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Jared Negrete. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank moist. Flipping cold basement because yesterday was a balmy 68 and Mother Nature said, no, 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 today the high's going to be 48 and the wind's going to blow. But... You're just a sissy, man. You need to put on some... some extra insulation. That's what I was about to say. And that, that. A couple extra pounds of insulation. <laughs> If you are listening in order and you just finished our Henrik Siwiak case, we are sticking with the September 11th date, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably sitting over there right now, Coach, thinking, he's lost his damn mind. I mean, this happened in July, but okay. <laughs> uh, the reason I say that we are sticking with it is because young 12-year-old Jared Negrete was born on September the 11th, 1978. Ooh, okay, I got it. I'm with you, I'm with you. He was a Boy Scout who was on his first overnight backpacking trip to, and I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try my best. It is Mount San Gauroguño. Again, that's why I didn't put it in the opening. <laughs> they they try to see, like, I looked up how to pronounce it, and it says Gorgonio or Go. Argonio. I'm just going to say Mount G. We're going with Mount G. It's nicknamed Old Grayback. Maybe that's easier. And uh, it's the highest peak in the Southern California in Southern California and the Transverse Ranges at 11,503 feet. And those of you that are not from America and use the old system, that's 3,506 meters. It is located in the San Bernardino Mountains, 27 miles east of the city of you guessed it, San Bernardino. It lies within the Sand to Snow National Monument managed by, actually it's part of the Sand to Snow National Monument ma managed by the San Bernardino National Forest. Uh, Jared was a 12-year-old 8th grader with a Hispanic background who lived in El Monte in Los Angeles County, California. He had black hair, brown eyes, Stood at five foot two inches tall and weighed 150 pounds at the time. He was wearing a tan colored t shirt, which more than likely had the Boy Scout style tan and the Boy Scout logo on it, green Boy Scout pants, and a pair of high top Pro Wings sneakers. And I have no idea. I guess those never translated to the East Coast because I've never heard of Pro Wings. Heard of what? Pro Wings sneakers. I've never heard of them. I me either, so I'm sure we'll get some love on the social medias about how they were awesome and how we're idiots, which, hey, I'm okay with that. Well, according to the Google, I mean, they're just normal, like, high-top shoes. Oh, okay. Well, you they're know. Top 12. If it's on the internet, it's got to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them before, but I've never heard the name Pro Wing. Oh, uh, okay. Um, now, Jared had a small birthmark on the right on his right cheek and wore glasses with brown plastic rims. He was carrying a two-quart canteen of water. On Friday, July the 19th, 1991, Jared, Jared was with his scout troop at an area close to the summit of Old Grayback. The group included a leader, which we call them scout leaders, Jared and five other scouts, so a total of seven people in the party. At around 6 p.m., Jared fell behind the other scouts on the hike to the summit. Another group of hikers spotted Jared straggling behind and notified the troop leader at the summit. They said he was shortcutting the switchbacks on his way down the trail and was told not to do that and stay on the trail. However, 
The scout leader said he would pick Jared up on the way down. When the leader finally was able to descend the mountain to find Jared, he couldn't because Jared was nowhere to be seen. As soon as he realizes that Jared has disappeared, he takes the other five scouts back to the base camp and then hikes five miles in the dark to get help. Here's the thing. I know it was a different time, a different place, but you just don't leave someone by themselves responsible for their safety. That's my thing. And then the other thing is, even with the scout situation, common hiking is you put your slowest people in the middle so that basically the faster ones are walking ahead, so they're trying to keep up with them, but you have some experienced hikers in the back that can, you know, kind of walk with them in case they need to take a break. But also the scouts teach you when you're doing anything in the wilderness, the buddy system. What happened? What happened to Jared's buddy? So they were a thousand feet from the top. So they could have all just taken a little break. Right. With him. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's just a thousand feet. That's not very far to be separated. Right, and the way those switchbacks, and I've not seen the actual trail, and I'm sure you can find pictures of it, but if those switchbacks have any outcroppings or trees in them, he may have been obscured at certain times, but I'm like you, why don't just take a break and either go back and get him when that group tells you, hey, you got a scout back there, and he's hauling tail down the, the mountain, but anyway... San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputies, along with search and rescue teams from as far away as the Sierra Madre and San Dimas, began searching a 130-square-mile area of the wilderness. It has been described as a rocky tree-lined terrain. Well, there you go. Within three days of the search, of whom many of the searchers were airlifted by helicopter into the forest and horseback riders, as well as helicopters flying the area with infrared, were deployed. They had narrowed the search area to about a six-square-mile region, and they believed to have found a footprint that matched one of Jared's high-top tennis shoes. Now, quickly, searchers also discovered beef jerky and candy wrappers believed to have been dropped by Jared, and most importantly, they... Even if you're lost, there's no excuse for littering. (laughs) We only have one Earth, people. Even if you're trying to survive, pick your shit up. Uh, Most importantly, his camera was located, and on the film were 12 pictures. Uh, Most of these photos were landscape scenes apparently taken before Jared decided to turn around and head down the mountain. But the final picture on the roll of film was a photograph of... Very haunting. Yes. Of Jared's eyes and nose taken with the aid of the camera's flash more than likely at night after after he disappeared. Family members said it appeared Jared pointed the camera at his face and snapped the picture, and they said that it seemed possible that the boy had lost the camera while sliding down a portion of the mountainside. Uh, One news article, I think, I don't remember, it may have been the L.A. Times, said they had interviewed his parents, and they said that when they found the rappers, they were like, yep, that's Jared. Because he's always got some snacks with him. (laughs) So, uh, like I said, there was as many as 3,000 people who logged 45,000 hours scouring the 50 square miles of San Bernardino National Forest. This makes no sense. From Angeles Oaks to Whitewater Canyon. A blue water bottle was found, but they later confirmed that that was not Jared's and that probably had been washed out of the mountains by flash floods. Uh, The temperatures, they stated, were warm enough for Jared to survive on the mountain for a few days, and there was a sufficient amount of water located in the area as well as his two quarts that he was carrying. It did appear that he had a limited number of snacks with him, but unfortunately... I mean, you don't have unlimited snacks. It's only a backpack. That's a dumb statement. I agree. Unfortunately, there were no other clues ever found, and Jared basically vanished into thin air. Doesn't make any sense how he couldn't be found. 
This is definitely a four one one case. I would a hundred percent agree. Even though he was never found, a lot of this matches up to the four one one. Uh, the biggest question is what exactly happened to him, and like we had kind of stated previously. If you pulled that stuff the scout leader pulled now, your tail would be in jail and arrested oh, yeah. for negligence. You can go to jail for the rest of your life. Uh, they may even charge you with involuntary manslaughter. So, One of the bigger questions was a lot of people had hypothesized that he had that Jared had fallen off the trail and slid down the mountainside. Uh, he was seen, remember, cutting the switchbacks on his way down, but after an extensive search... Nothing was found. A lot of people have thought that maybe he tripped and fell and got covered in some heavy vegetation or caused a rock slide and was buried. Uh, but he's covered in heavy vegetation. Regardless, they would have found him. That's what I'm thinking. Now, they did say that along the trails in that area, there were impenetrable fields of manzanita trees and steep drop-offs. And you may be asking yourself, self what are manzanita trees? Well, in the western part of this great country, in some parts of Texas, they have these things called manzanita trees. And they are known basically for their orange to red smooth bark, which they shed every fall, and their unique twisted trunks. They can range from a small, low-growing ground cover, approximately... 12 to 18 inches high or as tall as 20 foot trees and the way it seemed is like it's just thick as the briars and bullshit we have down here in the south uh one theory that has kind of come out is that jared probably got tired of waiting for the other scouts to return and he decided to walk down the mountainside alone and that he slipped and was severely injured another one is that he had actually kind of done what he was taught to do and he was looking for shelter and he held up in a cave or an overhang but at the same time you would think with as many searchers and him they're you know they're calling his name they're people all about and then you also have the the planes with the infrared you would think there would be some indication of him somewhere yeah that's the true mystery is the, is, is that they didn't find him you know you can hypothesize the reasons behind what he did you know he's a kid he probably i mean we're probably right he probably did just think he could go right back down the mountain and be fine and something happened but the the weird part is the fact that he was not found uh one theory out there of course is that he was abducted or murdered but there was no evidence of foul play because the trail of the mountain is so well used they don't think that predators really came into that area because of the high human activity. They also said that if he was attacked by humans or animals, there would have been signs of, you know, drag marks or disturbances in the terrain. And then as well, if he was attacked by an animal, there would have been signs of blood, of blood and drag marks. So, you know, I, I don't, we don't know what happened to him, but I really don't think he was abducted or murdered. I would think it'd be very difficult to abduct a 12-year-old boy without some sort of noise. Yes, and the way it, the trail is kind of explained is that from the summit, you can look down and see, I want to say 90% of the trail you just came back up. I read so much last night. I think it's a loop trail where you can go to the summit or you can continue the loop and go to like a couple of dry lake beds. But I want to say it's like a 12-mile loop trail, but it's very well-defined. It's not like, you know, a crazy, one of those crazy trails that you may step off of and not realize you're off the trail. So on the old Reddit, I found a user named LA Data Junkie, and they posted, the elevation change is rapid in that section near where Jared went missing. That's likely what wore him out. Once you get through that section, it's maybe a mile to the summit. They were close to the summit, but I imagine it was a strenuous section. What happened to Jared occurred within an hour or two, time for them to get to the top and return. 
Some people on the hiking forum stated that this section is a bit confusing and that one could take a wrong turn off the trail and end up descending into the drainage below. The candy wrapper was found in a dry, rocky stream bed off the trail. There was evidence that he slid down some ways on some scree rocks. It is possible, maybe likely, that he was buried in a rock slide. Now, another person stated that he is nearly positive that he knows the location of the remains, but it is in a thicket of manzanita bushes that this person almost died from exhaustion trying to get out of. Supposedly, nobody recovered the remains because the area was just too dangerous for a recovery. The particular drainage area where Jared was headed was very unforgiving, dense brush, very rocky, and treacherous. Two other people have gotten lost in this same exact area. They made a wrong turn on the Vivian Creek Trail, ended up down in the drainage, and both had to be rescued. I'm sorry, one of them had to be rescued, and one of them had a couple days hike out to Raywood Flat. Now, going back to what they said about that being very dense and just too dangerous for a recovery, I don't think that's true either. I think you go in there with search and rescue, and you just not really scorch earth, but, I mean, you just take in whatever you have, chainsaws, pole saws, whatever, and you just... There's no way I would die trying to get to my son if they knew if they suspected he was in a thicket. If it took me days to make an inch, I would be cutting stuff at the ground. Absolutely. So I don't it's not that I don't believe him, I just find that hard to believe that nobody's tried to go in there and recover if they knew exactly where he was at. Uh, another poster on Reddit, and this user is LAW Junior 3 says that I was part of the Jared search. I'm Lying here at 5 in the morning thinking about it, so I googled it and found this Reddit thread. Jared was the same age as my troop. We decided that our our high adventure trip for that year would be spent on the search for Jared. We hiked the same trail as him. I can't remember the name of the trail, but it included Dollar Lake and Dry Lake Saddle. The first two days of hiking, I remember thinking that it would be easy to get lost, but hard to get hurt. The forest wasn't dense or particularly steep, but it kind of looked the same, easy to get turned around in. On the third day, past Dollar Lake, it got real steep. The grade went from 20% to maybe 40%. Toward the end of the day, we passed the tree line. Then there were terrifying cliffs everywhere from where we stood on the Eden of a fairly treacherous cliff. We realized he could have easily fallen off the trail here and died. In our search, we found a lost flashlight, which my 12-year-old self knew was his. It wasn't, most likely, but I believed it was. Interesting fact about the search, we spent five days out there and didn't see it or hear so much as a single deer. In fact, the only wildlife we saw the entire time were mice at the peak. Not to shoot down any theories, but stumbling onto a drug operation, but the elevation we were at, had no service roads. We were dozens of miles from anything that could have been driven in or out. The prevailing theory was that he fell off a cliff and his body was scavenged by the animals. And that drug operation thing, there's a whole tangent on Reddit and some other forums. They thought that he might have stumbled into an an illegal grove, but the way that that terrain is uh, described, where he was at was that loose scree. It's not conducive to uh, growing anything, basically, except those manzanita trees. Even if you stumble into a marijuana grow site, you're going to kill a 12-year-old boy? That's ruthless. Yeah, that's not even murder. I mean, there's some the Murder Mountain documentary. I don't even think they would do that to a 12-year-old scout that got lost. Because I guarantee you he would have been like, look, I can't find my scout leaders. And they would have probably helped him get back close to civilization. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know there's some evil bastards out there, but still, yeah, 12-year-old boy, I mean, it takes a, a special kind of piece of shit to, to harm a 12-year-old boy that just happens to stumble upon something. But yeah, we know those special kind of pieces of shit are out there. But. Yeah, you're right. But I just don't, I just find it hard to believe in that that area where he went missing that you're going you're gonna to have some ruthless cartel drug lord out there that kills well, anybody and everything. The, the search was so extensive that... If Jared came upon a gross site, the search parties would have came upon the gross site. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. 
And the, the, I, I just go back to like, you know, the whole, this does really remind me a lot of the missing 411 because, you know, not, I don't know if search dog teams were brought in or anything like that. They were. But the the infrared looking helicopters and stuff, you would think, man, he would have been found or something would have been found. What Even if you find a. Dead by then, though. Well, see, and that's what people are saying that they think what may have happened is that scree. Like, he could have fallen off a cliff into one of those scree sides and just basically got covered up and was knocked unconscious by the fall and then basically suffocated in the rocks and the dirt. And it, that's the case. I mean, you're looking at, at slides, and then if the slide's on a particularly steep area, it may be very well a section that's so steep you cannot get into. So I don't – I mean – I don't know. This is just an odd, odd case, man. It's, I mean, you're talking, I, I don't know what time. It's, what do you think? Just estimate on, I'm thinking within 20, 30 minutes, he's gone. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't, there's not, you know, the, the basic four theories are he was abducted. He was murdered. He was attacked by animals. Uh, and then he succumbed to the elements held up in a shelter somewhere. But I'm like you, man. This is more missing 411. 30 years, you would think they would have found something by now. I agree with you, man. It doesn't make sense that... It's like he just blinked out. Yes, exactly. Like, you're going to find his backpack. You're going to find his camera. You're going to find candy wrappers. You're going to find this. You're going to find that. But you're not going to find him. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's an odd, odd situation. The only other thing would be, and I don't know, I didn't look at the weather, but I'm sure this would have been documented if it had happened. You know, they said that blue water bottle was found and it was probably washed down by flash floods. If there was flash floods in there and he was in one of those drainage or dry creek beds, he could have easily been swept out and drowned. But then where does that, surely they thought to look at the, where that may have dumped out to or you know, hope so. fed to, yeah. But man, this one isn't is extremely it's odd. It's definitely four one one because there's just no explanation to how far. Let's just say he wasn't swept away. Let's just say he was wandering around the woods. How far can a twelve year old get? He couldn't possibly have gotten outside of the search area. The search area was extensive. Yeah, 3,000 square miles. There was over 70 law enforcement officers. You've got horseback. You've got people being dropped by helicopter on at different key points of the mountain working their way down while others are working up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's like that Dior Kuntz. Kind of reminds me of that. I mean, where he went missing... That, that whole area was scoured by search and rescue, and he wasn't, what, a couple hundred yards from the camper? And that creek that they were fishing in is a wet-weather creek that's not very deep. Yeah, he went missing in between his family. Like, his parents, he was going to see his grandfather. Right, they had just, he'd like, just gotten out of sight of his parents, headed back towards his grandfather's camper. Somewhere in between. He blinks out, yeah. He's gone. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It's just, you would think the the terrain would lend itself to an easy recovery, alive or dead, because it was so open the way it was described. But even if he got into the tree line, you would think with that many people searching, something would be found. And even if they did, like I go back to, they if they did suspect he was in those Manzanita fields, Hell, go in there with a chainsaw and cut you a path. I mean, I understand it could be one of them things where if you miss it by a couple of feet, you would never see him. Yeah, I'll take that. But at the same time, you've got to get in there and at least try. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they – I mean, you think a search and rescue team's just going to be like, ah, that's just too thick. We can't get it. No, and that's, the, that's what I kind of go back to is I don't feel like those guys would give up. Even if, you know, that one lady said that, somebody almost died of exhaustion trying to get out of one of those that thinks that he's in there. Well, hell go back in there with more people 
and cut you a swath around where you think he's at. And at least, you know, at least you can put an X through. He's not here. Yeah. I don't know, man. This one's odd. Extremely, extremely odd. You think? You think it's strange? Uh, maybe why we're covering it. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a well, here's the thing. prize for Strangely you. Strangely enough, he's not the only Negreek to disappear in California. So, we have a part two to this case. That will happen right now. On December 10th, 1999, a young man is playing video games in his dorm room at UCLA. At 4 a.m., he walks out to congratulate the other player, and he walks back into his dorm room. The next morning, he is missing. He left behind his clothing, his shoes, his wallet, and his keys. But he has never been seen again. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Michael Negri. Welcome back. Welcome back to the D. Dang Morris basement. Ladies and gentlemen, we have now shifted gears to young Mr. Michael William Negri, who was born on. Unrelated. No relation yeah. to Jared. Jared was born and raised in California. Michael was born and raised in Virginia. He just happened to go to UCLA for college. Yes, yes. He was born on March 25th, 1981 to Mary and Miguel Negrete. He has two brothers named Dave and Steve, and he went by the nickname Mike to his friends and family. Uh, Michael was considered a happy young man. He loved singing jazz, watching The Simpsons, Simpsons and listening to and playing music so much so that he was in a band where he played trumpet and steel drums and the band's name was called Island Fever. You know, that 1999, that's still when the Simpsons were pretty good. <laughs> true, true. He was known as an avid gamer and he stood in at 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighed around 130 pounds. Uh, he was a popular freshman attending UCLA in the fall of 1999 and was residing on the sixth floor of Dykstra Hall, which, as you guessed, is on campus. Is it, like, named after Lenny Dykstra? I don't know. That's what I was wondering. It's spelled the same. <laughs> uh, basically, in the early morning hours of December the 10th, Michael is nowhere to be found. Finals were approaching, and he had just attended a party the night before with other students on his floor before returning to his dorm room to play a multiplayer game with another student on the school's intranet. It has been reported that after the game had finished, he made a trip down the hall to congratulate the other player and then headed back to his room. Now, the other player says that they had this little meeting, congratulatory meeting, around 4.30 a.m. The odd thing is when... Michael's roommate woke up the next morning around 9 a.m. Mike was nowhere to be found. And just like Coach said, his clothes, his shoes, his wallet, his keys, even his musical instruments were in the room. He has never been seen since. Now, Mike was reported missing when he could not be found by his roommate. The initial investigation did not find anything strange or out of the ordinary. He did not have any known enemies. There had been no recent significant changes or events in his life. The police did not believe that Mike disappeared voluntarily, however, though he seemed to have initially left his room on his own accord. At a loss, the police brought in bloodhounds, which traced Mike's trail across campus, where it abruptly stopped. Very few clues were found, and the public has been kept in the dark about what investigators know. Now, the band that Mike played for, Island Fever, had hosted several benefit concerts to raise money for the investigation. Mike's parents have hired two private investigators and also put up a $100,000 reward for tips that would lead to Mike's whereabouts. The private investigators even turned up zero leads, and the reward has never been claimed. Now, a year after Mike's disappearance, the police released a sketch of a man believed to be a witness 
to Mike leaving the dorm. It was emphasized that the man in the sketch was not considered a suspect or a person of interest in Mike's disappearance. Witnesses stated that the man was white and in his mid-30s. He stood about 5 foot 8 inches tall and had a stocky build. He was wearing a gray jacket with a turquoise design on it. Supposedly, he was seen in the halls of Mike's dorm around 4.30 a.m., so he possibly saw or spoke to Mike that night. Unfortunately, to investigators and the family, no one has come forward with this man's identity in more than the 20 years since the sketch was released. Now, back in 2013, Mike's brother would come forward and state that Mike had been going to rave parties and experimenting with drugs in the months before his disappearance. He decided to come forward in the case and release this information, hoping that this would lead to new leads and maybe some unconnected avenues that police didn't look at. The new information did lead to some new theories, but did not do anything to shed light on how or where Mike disappeared. Mike's brother felt like that he had left the dorm room under the influence of something and was picked up by someone looking to do him harm. And basically, ladies and gentlemen, that's the bare minimum facts of the case. We're going to get into some theories now. It's strange the fact that he left without his shoes. Right. That's another thing that I didn't... Here's the other strange thing. If this guy, they released this sketch about, Mike's 18, you're probably thinking people on his dorm hall, and it was a co-ed dorm, so there's 18, 19-year-old girls there. If you think a 30-year-old man just walking around in a gray jacket wouldn't be reported, you've lost your mind. Yeah, for real. So, But we'll get into that more later. It is Los Angeles, but it's still December. Right. The boy left without shoes on. That's very strange. Very odd indeed, sir. And didn't they track his scent to a bus stop, if I'm not mistaken? I never found out where they tracked it to. They just said that it just abruptly ended like he got into a vehicle. I didn't see where it was a bus stop or not, but it could have been. I mean, it could have easily been at UCLA. That makes more sense. One of the first theories to pop up was that Mike met up with someone who did him harm. Supposedly, he left the building at approximately 4.45 a.m., as some witness accounts have it. He possibly traveled either on foot, being barefoot like Coach said, or in a second pair of shoes or slippers that no one knew about to the intersection of Bellagio Street and Sunset Boulevard. This is based on the scent described as quite possibly unreliable by the actual canine handlers that led the search dogs now many speculate that michael was picked up there by someone possibly a stranger he had met online speculation runs along the lines of a very late hookup or drug connection most of these theories end with michael being murdered by a sexual predator or a drug dealer whom he had an altercation with the problem with this theory is that there's some pretty important information that was lost i want to point out that there was a witness that came forward that said they saw someone matching his description leaving the building at 4.35 a.m., but he was alone. Is that the one they think surfaced in, uh, was it Bulgaria? What? There's a theory. Oh, Bulgaria? There was a sighting of someone that matched his description, a homeless man in Bulgaria, but they actually tracked him down, and it's not him, so... No, I'm not talking about... Well, no, that's that's way different. I'm talking about the same night he disappeared. Someone saw someone matching his description leaving at 435. But he was alone. So it kind of... If that's a true sighting, that kind of puts... put Pumps the brakes on somebody doing him harm. You know, somebody abducted him or forcing him out of his room or whatever. Right, correct. I would agree. I would agree. Point made, sir. Point made. Now, although Mike's computer was taken into the custody of the campus police, all reports state that the hard drive was later somehow erased. Imagine that. Hmm. Some have pointed. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Somebody. Some have pointed out that the computer was not in safekeeping and was actually stored in a trailer that anybody could have accessed. A student who was interviewed by campus police in the area of the storage trailer where the computer was held 
actually detailed the fact that he is often seeing people in there that have no business being there. But a detective formerly assigned to the case insisted it was the FBI who screwed up and deleted all the information on Michael's computer. You know, because the FBI just going to run in and delete random hard drives of 18-year-old UCLA students. Well, I mean, I don't, I've never erased a hard drive, but I think there's probably a few steps you have to go through. I don't think you can just do that accidentally. Right. Ooh, I accidentally clicked all these commands. <laughs> Through these various steps. I accidentally punched in the code and turned the key and pressed the button for the nuclear warhead launch. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. Now, Mike did have an AOL account at the time. That's date in this case. Oh, yeah. But there is not any record of any subpoenas used to gather the information from AOL's servers when it would have been available. That data is now gone forever. Whether his computer is still stored in evidence somewhere with useful data hidden on it is basically a moot point. But perhaps modern-day methods of data reconstruction could bring a second life to any potential information that would help. Now, you don't know, and people that investigated this are not real sure if Mike only had his AO AOL account for emails or for instant messaging. I wish I still knew my AOL password. Everybody had an AOL account. Yeah, baby. I saw a thing on YouTube. It was showing a, a chat room. It was like just this huge argument going on about like racists and people just arguing back and forth. And this guy was like, by God, you got a problem with me. You just email me and I'll talk to you personally at blah, blah, blah at AOL.com. And everybody was like... You still use AOL? <laughs> like everybody, like people against him, people for him. They were all like, "Dude, come on!" Now you get them CDs in the mail. <laughs> God, do you remember that, man? Like once a week, hundred minutes. Once a week, man. God. <laughs> oh man. Now this is all pure speculation. 4 a.m. seems to be a particularly odd time for a hookup, just as it is actually a very odd time for a murder. Crime statistics. Right. It's you're in college. Four a.m. is not that odd of a hookup time in college. No, I agree with that. But what the people are saying is that crime statistics state that you are least likely to be murdered between the hours of three and five. I mean, yeah. Now the scent path traced by the dogs from Dykstra Hall followed a weird zigzag pattern, which some speculated might have meant that Michael was either dazed or backing away from an assailant. Others believe this weird pattern was due to the dogs following not one trip by Mike up the pathway, but many separate trips that he took during his month-long residence in the dorm. Some damn good dogs, if they can pick up a month-long trek. Well, they do have powerful noses, my friend. That is true. Now, following the he-was-harmed theory... If you look at the account given by a student or students of an older man allegedly to have been in Dykstra Hall walking around at the time of Michael's disappearance, the man aged approximately 35 would have been an extreme anomaly in the dorm where no one that age would have been expected at that time of night. What has come to light in recent years is that if you compare the police sketch of the mystery man to a friend of Mike's father, Damon Von Dahm, you quickly realize they look similar. However, it is known that the person who stated they saw this mystery man is now a convicted murderer who invented this whole story so that police would not find out about his own horrible extracurricular activities and that no one else saw this mystery man. The person that came up with this theory is David Westerfield, and he sits on death row in California now because he's a murdering piece of shit. Yeah, that will happen. What is described as... Piece of shit. <laughs> might end up on death row. <laughs> what is described as a strange twist of fate is that there is a resemblance between the sketch of the mystery man and a convicted pedophile named Mark Collins Rector. Rector lived very close to the UCLA campus, a short drive, and also worked nearby. While he has never been convicted of murder, it would not be a stretch if he were connected in some way to Mike's case. 
And if you see a picture of Michael Negrete, he looks a lot younger than 18. He is a boyish-faced young man and may have fit the type of boys that Rector preyed upon in the L.A. area. Now we get to the second theory, and the second theory is around the dorm at the time was under heavy construction. Now this is all conjecture and conspiracy theories, but basically disappearances in construction sites usually fit together like peas and carrots. The prevailing theory is that Michael, either high on ecstasy or stoned out of his mind, walked out that night and fell into an open construction area or hole or dugout foundation and somehow was later covered up by dirt or concrete. How are you going to get covered up by concrete without them seeing? Come uh, on. I agree. I agree. I agree. Now, police accounts of the investigation did indicate that all construction areas around Dykstra Hall were searched carefully and nothing was found. Many have asked whether cadaver dogs were brought in, but there's no record of that that I could find. Uh, the third one is our, the last two theories before I get into a, another theory. The last two is our tried and true two. Well, it says that the police searched the construction site and they searched the garbage chute. They searched pretty much everywhere, but nothing came of any of it. Yeah. The next theory is Mike fled the scene to create a new life either by the pressure of the finals or his desire to live out some aspect of his life that he could not openly share with others. I think people underestimate, and I'm going to contradict myself because of my opinions on Laura Murray, but I think people underestimate the difficulty of creating a whole new life. It's quite difficult. And it's not something an 18-year-old in his first semester of college would seemingly have the forethought to do if you if you google creating a whole new creating a new life there's a pretty good i can't remember the website but there's a pretty good website that gives you all the tips and tools you might need on how to do it and it is extensive like it takes years of preparation to pull it off successfully like starting to get everything in cash starting to separate yourself from your family, starting to, it, it, it takes a while. Let's just put it that way. Several steps. And when I read it, I was like, ah, oh, fuck that. I'll just deal with my life. You could join a cult. I mean, that's, that's probably a speedier way. Yeah. Now, Mike could have underwent a psychotic break or episode of global amnesia and no longer knows who he is and why he is wandering around out there. Now, while this cannot be ruled out, it seems extremely unlikely. The last one of our tried and true is he just couldn't take it anymore and he committed suicide. And his body just happens to be in a place where it's never been found. I don't know. That's the I mean, I'm not can't I'm not saying that he didn't commit suicide, but just the fact that his body has never been found is the strange. Well, and you know, there's no note, there's no message, and I know that there's not always a note or a message, and this can't be ruled out. But nobody around Mike has stated that he even had any indication that he was depressed, battling anything. Basically, he was loving being in that band, and he was in his first semester of college on the other side of the country from his parents with all that freedom. And you're gonna decide you're gonna play video games for a few hours and then go congratulate the your opponent and you're so decimated by the loss that you end it yeah you're gonna go congratulate him and you're gonna be in an upbeat mood and then you're just gonna go say fuck it so sad that right then and there yeah doesn't seem likely no it does not it didn't happen but it does doesn't seem like now there are some people that said that he if he was indeed experimenting with rave drugs which is ecstasy and took the wrong combination of ecstasy smoked some pot or drank some alcohol he could have had a severely bad trip and involuntarily committed suicide but it's still unlikely that he would have done so in an area where his body has not been found in 20 years now his parents are going to seek the help of some psychic i had seen that but i couldn't ever find what the psychics would tell them well i got it right here um you are such a good researcher 
They they sought the advice of several psychics, and they all stated that Negrete was alive. They also provided the parents with alleged locations of where he was alive. But in every single case, it turned out to be incorrect. I don't know what your opinion is on psychics or whether they're legit or not, but if they're not legit and you're just a scammer, don't fucking tell the parents the kid's alive. That's my biggest thing. I think there's some credibility to remote viewing, like calling some people in, giving them some very vague things, not telling them there's a murder or anything like that, and see where that leads to. I think remote viewing has some possibilities, but these pieces of shit that call themselves psychics that interject themselves and tell these fucking families that their loved ones are still alive and there's not been anything there, and then like years later they find the their bones and they died within a mile of where they were abducted. Those are special types of pieces of shit. Yeah, if you're a psychic scammer, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. But if you're a psychic scammer that's going to give false hope, you are in a ginormous piece of shit. You are. Hope is a horrible, horrible thing in a lot of cases. Hope can be terrible because when that hope is pulled out from under you, it makes everything that much worse. No truer words have been spoken from your mouth, Coach. It's also reported that there has been no activity on the Greek's credit card since his disappearance, which is not surprising considering he left his wallet in his dorm room. As an 18-year-old, to leave everything you have of value behind, you're not starting a new life. He didn't take money, clothes, he didn't take his wallet, he didn't even take his shoes. I can't explain what happened. I don't have an explanation. No, I don't either, man. Now, Michael Keckler wrote an article on Mike Negrete's disappearance and theorizes the following. And it's a little long, but it's it's pretty insightful. He thinks that Mike never left Dykstra Hall alive in the early morning hours of December the 10th, 1999. His theory is that Mike died on the sixth floor of either a drug overdose or as a result of a fight with another student. Either way, his body was disposed of by the same individual or more likely individuals. Many of the, quote, clues in this case are red herrings. Mike probably never walked out of the building at 4.45 a.m., or if he did, he returned to the building, and the incident which resulted in his death happened between 5 and when his roommate woke up at 9. Now, he goes on to state that you hear and read false reports of a video ga- video camera recording Mike's exit from Dykstra Hall, but the cameras on the building were not operational in 1999. This would have made an ideal situation for removing Mike's body from the dorm away from the prying eyes of security cameras. The foot scent is probably related to Mike's previous trips to and from the dorm, and he feels like it's irrelevant. There was no hookup, there was no drug deal off campus, no wild wandering in the night. Mike was more sensible than that. Now think about the circadian rhythm of the human body. It's more important in this situation than you might think. He was playing a video game which required concentration. This would seem to indicate he was not tripping on ecstasy or something else that would make that sort of focus difficult. Maybe he had some alcohol or maybe he had smoked some pot. It can't be ruled out that he might have overindulged or had a severe reaction of something he ate and something that he had taken extracurricular. He was a freshman with a lot of freedom suddenly. We all know that college dorms are like a candy store and he did want to experiment. But maybe it wasn't the drugs he took which caused his death. Perhaps the drugs some other people or other individuals took played a bigger part and that would not be surprising. And he goes on to say that this is the key. The person who described the, quote, witness wandering the halls of Dykstra that night was the person responsible for Mike's death, or they are one degree of separation from that person. It would not be surprising if the sketch was actually based on Mark Collins' rector. This was the ultimate red herring created to lead police off course. The person in the sketch was never seen in Dykstra Hall. An online interview with a student who attended the university within a year or two of Mike's attendance there explained how abnormal it would have been for anyone, not typical undergraduate age or a known individual, to have been in the dorms in the middle of the night. It would almost certainly have caused alarm, particularly 
among the female residents. It would have been the talk of the hall and more than likely reported to campus police way before Mike is discovered missing. Certainly, there would have been confirmation of a report being made, but this doesn't appear to have been the case. This phantom visitor was probably just that, an invention to create misdirection. Now, if we go back to Mark Collins Rector, a story about his penitent for young men appeared in the L.A. Times, guess when? Just one month prior to Michael going missing. This is just one of a perfect scheduled red herring for our unsub. Anyone of average intelligence living in the dorm or on campus could have followed the story of Rector in the newspaper or on television and realized, here is my bad guy. I will base the description on him. Why not? He could have gone after a young dude like Mike. Rector would have been fresh on the oven sub's mind as the, quote, creep of the hour. The young man or men responsible for Mike's death is actually living with a lot of guilt in this author's opinion. It would most likely not have been in any way a premeditated act. It would have been a momentary loss of control which led to a tragedy or else it was even less than that. Maybe it was just knowing that he had provided the drugs which killed Mike and knowing that UCLA would have surely cleaned house in that dorm, this person or several people would have been swept out. He did not want to give up on his future. And that's Again, Michael Keckler's opinion on probably what happened. And the way the the article is closed out is that he feels like the people or person that is res- ultimately responsible may have been so high they didn't realize what they had done and then come to that realization much, much later. But again, where's the body? Exactly. And plus, they said the cameras weren't working, but would the students be aware that the cameras weren't working? They were still cameras present. That's what I was wondering when that was stated. I I don't know if it was one of those situations where the construction in the area, that was part of the construction, they were putting up cameras. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if the students would have been keen enough to know they were, were recording or not recording. But if, you know, this guy says that it's, it wasn't a premeditated situation. I would tend to believe that if you knew the cameras were not working and you knew of the rector guy, that was a huge premeditated situation. I mean, even if it is for something in the morning, sneaking a body out of a dorm is pretty high risk. Yeah, short of weekend at Bernie's, carrying him out like he's dressed up. Yes, I agree. But again, this is extremely odd because there's never been really any hard leads of where the hell he went and why he was never seen again. It's, yeah, I don't know, man. It's crazy. All these cases we do are crazy, but especially the ones that are disappearances where it just seems like they blink out of existence. Both the Negrets or the Negrets and then some of the other ones that we touched on. It's just... It's hard to fathom that you can just be there basically one minute. And I know between 4.30 and 9 a.m., that's, you know, four and a half hours. That's a lot of time. But, I mean, for 20 years, nobody's come forward. Nobody's got a clue. I mean, even in the investigation, nobody found anything that would lead them to something that would, where you could find his body or find some kind of premise about what happened. And December of 99, man, that was Y2K. Everybody thought the world was going to end. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> we thought planes were going to fall out of the sky. It just baffles me. I know we've covered so many disappearances where they've never been seen again, but it just baffles me how that's possible, especially in this case where there seems to be no reason for him to go. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like Jared, you know, Jared agreed possibly fell down the mountain and got covered up or whatever. And they just, just by dumb coincidence, never found him. But this guy disappeared from a dorm room at UCLA in LA yeah. County. <laughs> Somebody out there knows something. Somebody saw something that they didn't think was important at the time. And it really is probably one of those keys to the situation. 
Well, my question is like they, you know, we I read about the sniffer dogs. They traced it to a bus stop. Would they let him on the bus with no shoes and no money? I mean, he may have had a pass, but usually you keep those passes in your wallet. Well, he may have just put it in his pocket. True. Or he may have had some pocket change. But are they going to let him on the bus with no shoes? I don't know the policy, but it doesn't seem like they would. I don't either. I mean, there's so many different avenues for him. I, I just feel like there's a – I don't think he committed suicide. I don't think he ran off to start a new life. I mean, hell, he hadn't been in California. Let's just say he got there in August. It's December. He's in his first semester. I don't think he's there long enough to start his new life. Now, some people will say, well, he left everything that tied him to his identity in that dorm room. That's true, but at 18, had you been planning to skip town since you were 16 and you set all this in motion and you have a new identities, you know, all that stuff. I just don't see an 18-year-old who's in a band who seemed like they were having the time of their life living on the West Coast and going to school at UCLA just saying, ah, fuck it, I'm going to start over. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And plus, I know me at 18. I was 18 at that time. If I know me, <laughs> I'll turn this car around. I couldn't have pulled that off. Well, hell no, I couldn't tie my shoes correctly then. I couldn't tell you what I was going to do in two days, much less what I was going to do in six months. I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know. It's odd. Very, 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 very odd. Well, I mean, if we're going to give a theory, I would have to agree with his brother. He was probably under the influence of drugs, decided to leave, and just happened to come upon somebody with nefarious intentions. That's the only thing that could possibly make sense to me. I mean, whether it happened or not, I don't know. But if you're going to try to make sense of it, that's the only way. I mean, while it is possible that he took... I just don't know, man. I guess I go back to taking the drugs and that kind of thing. From all accounts, when he congratulated the guy that won the video game, the guy didn't say that he was tripping out of his mind or anything like that so then it would lead you to think that he went back to his dorm room took whatever or went to somebody else's room took something and then he was at a party previously so he may have had some pot he may have drank a couple of beverages but like the video game thing and it was rumored it was like a first person shooter so he's concentrating that's probably james bond on the n64 or something <laughs> i just don't see him being so cracked out of his mind that he accidentally falls or he has some kind of crazy adverse reaction that late into it. Now, could he have been bumped into some dumbass down the hall and they just knock the shit out of him in one of those freak accidents, he hits his head just correct and he dies? Yeah, that's possible. But again, like you said, it's going to be hard as hell to keep that under wraps and by all accounts, that dorm was pretty hopping that night from the party. So most people were going back into their room. And again, I know it's four and a half hours. That's a long time. But you're looking at, I don't see one individual picking him up, dragging him out without being seen because that's not going to be a quick trip. And if it's more than one person, I don't see both of them being quiet for that long. But that's just my two cents. So what do you think happened? I really don't know, man. The, the most plausible thing is somehow he got on that bus. And from there, who the hell knows? I mean, there's no, no bus drivers ever come forward saying, yeah, I, no bus yeah. drivers ever come forward. Nobody on the bus has ever come forward. No, no, nothing. I don't know, man. This one's a head scratcher. Because when you start chasing one theory, oh, I think this happened, then you're like, well, shit. What happened? You know, like the bus driver. Well, there's never been a bus driver come forward. Well, what about the construction site? He fell down. Most of the people don't just back up a damn cement truck without checking the hole. I mean, it's possible, but not likely. Right. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And then they said that the police investigated, you know, all the construction sites in the area. I don't know, man. I don't know. I really don't. I, I really do not have a theory that I can just say, yep, that's what I think happened. Because I like a lot of them, but at the same time, once you start liking one theory, you poke holes in it. 
I mean, also, and it's strange when you connect the two cases, the fact that their last names are the same. That's not a very common last name. It's not like two Smiths disappeared or two Joneses. You know, this is a Negrete. Yeah. One came all the way from Virginia to disappear in the same state as the other. Yeah, and one was born and raised in California. Well, I think they were three years apart age-wise because he was born in um, – Jared was born in 78 and Michael was born in 81. Yeah. I mean, still, though, it's just – it's hard to fathom. But anyway. All right, recommendations? Uh, I don't really have one. can't think of anything. I recommend that you watch The Missing 411, The Hunted. I know we've probably recommended it more than once, but that one is more case-by-case, case, some of the odder ones out there. Um, and if you don't remember or have never heard of the Dior Kuntz, uh thing, watch the first Missing 411. Yeah, and the, the Hunted has Jared Hedges. Yes. Not Jared. Uh, Something Hedges. Aaron Hedges. Aaron Hedges, yes. That we've covered, so... That's a really, really good segment, and it's just going to confuse the hell out of you. Um, we are, for those of you that keep asking, we are not done with Bardstown. We are looking at trying to put a bow on it, but I got a feeling kind of like we said in our latest episode on Bardstown is this is going to be a case that we probably go back and visit a couple of times. So stay tuned, and yeah, that's about all I got. Coach, you got anything? No, I don't. Nooses. <laughs>